Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board games. I'm your host, Albert, and this is episode 179. Gotta roll with the no. roll players. No. <laughs> I'm locking you up for that horrible song. <laughs> hey, Julius. But I'm sorry, Albert. I can't I hear thought that's you. why we were I doing this game. packed with cotton. <laughs> I thought we were covering this game because you had wanted to hear the song again. <sighs> it's not a role player. It's not role player. <laughs> There's a separate game. You are going to confuse people. But it says, but this is a role player tale. Lockup. Albert, you're in jail. Just like Cartographer was a role player. No, Cartographers tale. is not in jail. You're in jail. I'm in jail. Yes, you're in jail. Well, that that's good in this game, isn't it? I'm not sure if it could be good, but let's go ahead and start talking about the game. Hello, everybody. Since, since we're talking around <laughs> it, hi everyone. Today we are going to be talking up talking about Lockup, a role player tale. It is a role player tale. True. Mm. It is a game uh, published by Thunderworks Games, so it uh, reuses much of the thematic elements from role player and cartographers and similar style of art and concept of mixed fantasy races. Uh, that's why it's called a role player tale. But it, as with cartographers, has nothing to do with role player, and I continue to object to Albert's use of that song. <laughs> <laughs> nothing nothing to do with the game itself just with the song nothing at all <laughs> yeah so this is this is another role player tale without any rolling correct correct that's what it seems like it has no rolling at all you do not roll unless that's... you want to roll with bunches this is in fact more okay. of an, an area majority um and resource management game mm-hmm because the court, the idea of the game is that you are going to be one of various groups in Kubak prison. And your goal is over six rounds to gain the most reputation as the most fearsome, coolest, best crew out of all of Kubak prison by controlling the various areas in the prison to uh, get resources and craft items and uh recruit people and get more points and whoever has the most mm-hmm, amount of okay. points at the end of six rounds wins so i think the first thing in our list albert is to talk about the rule book and i think you've even have the opportunity to at least open the rule book before i called you and said let's record have you not <laughs> that's digitally speaking yes i opened the rule book <laughs> and i was at the cover and i'm looking through it <laughs> so that you can and it looks pretty it is pretty there that is definitely one thing and i know i'll get back to this when we get back to components the game is definitely pretty um but talking about the rule book i do think the rule book does something perhaps a little bit interesting in that it has a different view for how the sections of the game should work so one thing that i thought was different and a little confusing to me is that as is normal it first introduces all the components and gives you a breakdown of all the different components Um, but then when it's going through how to play it goes through the order the chronological order of the game because there's three phases the roll call phase the lights out phase and the patrol phase and in the roll call phase signing your tokens to the various areas in order to be able to use the powers of the areas if you have an area majority then in the lights out phase, you actually get to use those areas. We go around and we see who has the area majority. Normally, at least for most games that I've played, when we continue on chronologically, that's the point in time at which I tell you, like, here's what all the areas do. 
but it doesn't do that. It just says go around and do whatever it is that the areas do. And then late, there's a later section of the game after it tells you all about what happens at the end of the game that here's what all the areas do. And you sort of like when you're Oh, going like game, an appendix sort of thing? Essentially, yes. And that would be fine if like there were not all the areas were used in the game. Like if, for example, the areas were were different cardstock and you put it down and so the areas could change, that would be fine. But that's not the case here. All the areas are the same in every game. So I don't know why they didn't continue to keep it chronologically and be like, go chronologically. First area does this, second area does this, and then continue on from there. But they didn't decide to do that. Yeah, I've seen games that do that. Oh, yeah, in News for it, it does something similar, I think, where it'll tell you that, you know, each player can, has these actions and it, and it goes through the turn saying these are the different things you could do and tells you, oh, these are the actions. But then later on, after it tells you about the whole game turn, then it details all the actions. Yeah, I'm not. Which is, it feels out of place. I kind of feel like I have to jump back and forth a bit in the rules. Yeah, I haven't played this field and haven't learned the rules for that one. Um, but essentially, yes, it was just making me feel like it was going back and forth. Similarly, there's another area that um, it tells you about all the different goons that you meet. And mm-hmm. these are people that you can recruit from one of the areas. One of the one of the areas lets you recruit goons from other crew, from other inmates. And so, like, there was the initial breakdown of how the goon cards worked. But then much later on is the area where this is how you get goon cards. And then much later on again is this is what goon cards do and all the different rules for all the different goon cards. So I think that those really should have been consolidated, especially put... Like, here's the breakdown for goon cards, and here's the exceptions for the different thing goon cards do, and put that in one place. So, for example, like, the first mm-hmm. time I was learning the game, I pulled up goon cards, and it's like, here's what goon cards do. And my goon card had, like, extra things, and I'm like, well, you're not telling me what these do. So I looked over, when you put out goon cards, do this with the cards. I'm like, but you didn't tell me what to do with this icon. And it wasn't until I got to the appendix that's so like, this special icon does this. And specifically what I'm mentioning is the thieves or, wait, is it the, it's, uh, I think it's the thief. I can't remember their specific name. Um, but it's the one character who, it's the bandits is what they're called. Um, it's the bandits that what they do is that they add an extra resource cube that comes out um, when you're distributing goons across the board to that area. And it, you only know, put that out when you get to the description of what the bandits do. Otherwise you have no clue. So I don't know. I just wish they would have mentioned that to me before somewhere. They did. So not, not an ideal rule book for learning the game. Not an ideal rulebook for learning the game. There's actually one more issue which only comes up for solo mode. And I think this is something that definitely for our listeners, I feel it's important to point out because I made this mistake for mm-hmm. the entirety of the first time I played through the game. When you're playing solo mode, the the Automa, and I'll call it Automa for now, the Automa interacts with the different locations differently. And for each of the locations, except for the cell block and the library, um, the guards will not do anything if they do not have the most strength. A normal player would be able to get something if they do not have the most strength. But the guards have an exception that in each of those areas, if they do not have the most strength, they do not get anything. But then for cell block and library, it happens to be that if they have the second most strength, they still get something. That fact is specifically called out for the library. It says if they have the second most strength, they get something. 
For cell block, it doesn't tell you that. It just neglects to tell you, hey, if they don't have the second most strength, they seize nothing. It goes back to the general rule, like any normal player character, that if they have the second most strength, then they just pick second. But it doesn't tell you that specifically, and I didn't realize that because everything else is an exception. Everything else tells you. So I just assume this one, as Mm -hmm. with all the other ones, they don't get anything if they don't have the most strength. That is not accurate and not how you're supposed to play. And oops. Mm. If they had a separate rule book for solo play, that probably wouldn't have happened. Possibly. But I definitely think that's something that should have been mentioned and is a good thing for our people to our people to be aware of. Yeah. And that that does just sound like a, 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 an honest oversight, a mistake that they'll probably fix in the future. Potentially. Uh, let's talk yeah, about some like of it. the thematics of the game. The idea of this game is, as I mentioned, you are a crew um, trying to prove that you have the most fearsome reputation. And again, you're doing this over the course of six rounds. In solo, so in multiplayer, that kind of makes sense because much of your reputation is going to come from these really cool weapons that you're putting together and now you have the coolest weapons around and everyone should be very afraid of you. Cool, I'm with that. In solo, you're you're more fearsome because the Automa in this game is actually the guards of Coolback Prison. And they're going around, and for some reason, the guards are also making fearsome weapons. And for some reason, the guards are also recruiting inmates. And for some reason, the guards are also trying to get reputation. And you're trying to be more fearsome than the guards. You're not trying to escape the guards, let it be known. Your goal is not to escape Coolback Prison. Your goal is to be more fearsome than the guards. I question why. <laughs> yeah, thematically, it's a little challenging there. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, and I get it that, you know, hey, the game works really well if we do it this way mechanically. But <laughs> but the, the theme is a little, it sounds a little... Yeah, well, I mean, it's it, it's perfectly <laughs> fine for the regular game. Like, the idea of being the most fearsome crew, right. that works just fine. Yep. But I question why, like, the, the theme fails a little bit when we decide that the Automa, instead of being another Automa prison group, is the guards. And I just question what exactly is going mm-hmm. on with these guards. And it could be that these are extremely corrupt guards, and lo and behold, I mean, the game does call out that they're very corrupt guards, but, like, I, I'm. I just. I'm not quite sure what it is that they're doing. <laughs> Could be I don't have a corrupty enough mind. I don't know. <laughs> but otherwise, <laughs> the guards. theme and the theme is really pulled through a lot from excellent components, excellent design, and I think some of that comes out when we talk about components. So perhaps noting that, maybe we should talk about components. What do you think, Albert? Okay, let's do it. There's a lot of them. There are a lot of them. <laughs> Actually, I'm not sure. There's so much. One of my favorite components to the game are the stands that you use to place your pieces. Because part of the game is when you're doing area majority, you have your player tokens. And each of your tokens is going to represent a crew member that you can send out to to control one of the various areas. So they range between five to one, to an eye or to a fist. And some of the time you'll be able to place your crew members down secretly on the area so everyone else doesn't know how much you've committed to an area. But because of that, you need to have a stance that you can see everything you have, but no one else could. It'd be hard to do that if it were all cards, um, because cards would fill up much better. So they use tokens for it because of that they needed a stand. These stands are these cool little pieces of plastic um, that are called holding cells. 
because they use them to hold your stuff. <laughs> um, but they're holding yeah, cells. Because they look like them. They look like them, but you use them to hold your stuff. It's a double entendre. It's, it's nice. Uh-huh. Very dad jokey. <laughs> so, but they're these pieces of plastic that on the back have bars and you take a piece of cardboard and stick the cardboard in the back so that everyone can see your player pieces behind bars when they look at your side of the board. <laughs> That's cool. It's excellently designed. It looks really nice. Totally unnecessary. Completely nice. unnecessary. Very unnecessary. They didn't even need to give you really a holding cell. They could just run hold your stuff in your hand or face down or who knows what. Like they mm-hmm. didn't need to give you a holding cell, but it's a, a very premium component and it feels very premium and looks very premium. It's the sort of thing that people, when they pick it mm-hmm. up, they're like, ooh, this looks nice. And, and in case you're not sure exactly what we're talking about, think Scrabble. You know, when you play Scrabble, you have a little stand for all your tiles and all your little letters are all seven are lined up in a row. Same idea, just with much cooler effect. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Much nicer looking. Um, setting aside that very premium thing, the rest of the game has just very premium art, premium style. For example, um, there's the... All the the card backs have very nice stylized art, like the item deck has a cool little item motif to it. The goon cards have two guys with has a guy with hands behind back and cuffs. The art on the board, how everything is designed with unique areas, and although my kids when they look at it, it doesn't look like a prison to me. I'm like, I don't know what to tell you, (laughs) Um, but it looks very nice. (laughs) It's all very well designed. The graphic layout is really good. Um, the player boards are high quality card stock. All the rest of that looks like really nice, high premium quality components. Maybe the only negative I could say are the resource cubes. There's four different types of resource cubes and a power cube and a suspicion cube. And these are all, they're, they're just cubes. They aren't shaped meeples or shaped resources. They're not, they're not deluxe. I think it's really okay because the art for them brings out that even though they're cubes like the art brings out that it's a block of gold or it's a block of iron or it's a block of slime so there's Mm. art that constantly depicts them and the art even though they're cubes makes it look very thematic almost as if it were shaped meeple they could have done a shaped meeple they could have been a bit more deluxe with that but it's it's not bad it's just it's that that is a fine component amidst a whole lot of other really nice components yeah, I mean, you already got the nice uh, counter stand. Stop complaining, people. I'm not complaining. I'm just pointing. Like, look, I've got <laughs> the point. Of, I've got the nitpick where I can nitpick. I can't just blindly say everything's great. You know, I've got. I've got to give the game its pros I, and its yeah. cons. But I didn't mean you, people. I meant other people. I see. Don't don't be defensive. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're saying you're saying I, de- I. It's not me that complains too much, even though you're saying I complain too much. Yes, thank you. I gotcha. There is one other thing that I kind of wish they had thrown in for us solo players. They were very nice. They gave us an extra game board for solo players. They gave us a whole deck for solo players. But each different faction has a disc that is used to track reputation around the board. When you're playing solo, you have to borrow one of the other players' discs. They didn't give a disc for the guards. <sighs> could they? Not, I, I just want another black. Like They couldn't have given us even a black mm-hmm. disc please i'm gonna i'm I'm, at this point time i've got to go find a black disc yeah go for the guards because now i'm only playing this solo (laughs) i don't know how many times i've done that where i've gone and and, oh there's no component for the 
the AI or for the, for the bot, whatever. And I got to go and supply my own because I don't want to use yellow and green from the other players. I want to. I want a black. Have a it's, generic. It's just a black color. disc. That's all I want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. I totally know what you mean. I totally get that. So that is that. Uh, I think we've talked all about the components at this point. Shall we talk about the gameplay, Albert? Okay, let's do that. So with the gameplay, I've mentioned various pieces and aspects of it while we've been going through some of the early review, but I'm going to try and consolidate and perhaps say some of the things again here. When you're playing through lockup, there's going to be six rounds, and each of those rounds is three phases. In the first phase, there's the roll call phase. During the roll call phase, you're going to be taking your tokens, your crew tokens, and assigning them around the board. Um, and right now I'm going to be discussing, as the rulebook does, I'm going to be discussing the multiplayer rules. And then after we've discussed the multiplayer rules, I will go through and tell you how the solo rules change. But when you're playing multiplayer, you assign some of your crew tokens face down and some of them face up. Each turn, you can assign as many of your tokens as you want to a single location. Once you've assigned crew to a location, you may not revisit that location. You cannot go back and put more crew at the same location again. Okay? So that means that once you've gone there, if you've okay. decided to undercommit and someone else overcommits to it later, you're just you're just out of luck. Nothing you can do about that. But you can try and scare people away because you're allowed each round to assign some of your crew tokens face down. So you can hide how much you've committed to a location. And hopefully, but if you put a thing face down somewhere, people are like, I don't know, that may be a five, so I'm going to run away. Alternatively, that may be a one, and you're trying to entice people to come there. So there's a little bit of, do I take the cup in front of me or cup in front of you type thing. There's a whole bluffing aspect of the game of multiplayer. Mm -hmm. Once... Once everyone has assigned all of their crew tokens, that's going to end the roll call phase. Then there's going to be the lights out phase. During the lights out phase, you will go through the different areas and collect rewards. So, for example, one of the areas will give you uh, blue cubes or purple cubes or silver cubes and various different things. One moment, Albert. I apologize. Pausing right here. Yes. Gotta roll with the role players in the prisons of Kakarak Mountain. That's a heavy sounding game. King Tyrams, low hell soldiers put down the draggle invasion of Nalos. They threw the captured minions into Colbeck Prison. Where the enchanted gates and ruthless construction No blah, blah, blah. Where the enchanted gate and the ruthless construct cards make escape all but impossible Once every year Once every year the king releases the toughest gangs of prisoners into the Colosseum. I put the microphone on the keyboard and realized afterwards that was risky because I could have closed the window. Eep. <laughs> some of the areas will also need to uh, convert some resources to other resources, which is the only way to get the rare gold resource. Some of the areas will allow you to recruit goons, and different goons can be used for different points in the game. Some of them allow you to get just straight-up points. Some of them allow you to get point uh, set collections, so if you get a whole bunch of a certain type, you'll get more. Or some of them reward you for getting other things, like tomes or items or power cubes, things like that. 
Then there is also some locations that you convert resources to other items. And as I mentioned, the items are the ones that are worth between 8 and 20 points. It's a strong way to get a lot of points to over the course of the game is by creating fearsome items. Many items are also used to get both other cool stuff. Some of them give you bonuses like extra cubes or extra inventory slots. And some other ones will also allow you to work towards um, special goals because at the start of the game, three different goals are put out, which can be used to get points either in the middle or over the course of the game. So for instance, some of them reward having more items in the middle of the game or having the most at the end of the game, etc. Um, if you ever go to a location and you have the most strength there and there are suspicion cubes, then in addition to the benefit of it, you must take the suspicion cube if you get the benefit of it. The exception of this is if you sent your eye guy, your lookout. If you sent your lookout, then the next most guy with the highest strength has to take those suspicion cubes. Suspicion cubes are a problem because if you have the most suspicion cubes and the suspicion cubes run out, there's a raid and you lose resources and you lose points and bad stuff happens to you. So you want to try and avoid those suspicion cubes we can, but sometimes it's just an unavoidable risk. If ever you are at a location and you do not collect stuff, your player token, your crew token goes to the library, in which case you can collect tomes. Tomes are sort of like an instant spell <laughs> type thing that you can use to be able to do cool stuff whenever the tome says you can do. Um, then after you've gone through and gotten all those resources, you do the patrol phase, at which point in time you refill all the goon cards, the item displays, add suspicion cubes around, and move on through the game. You do that six times at the end of the t at the end of the at the end of six rounds. You'll total up points, including points from goons, resources, tome cards, um, and whoever has the most amount of points shall be named the winner. I keep thinking this game sort of reminds me of Revolution from Steve Jackson games. Not one I'm familiar with. Have you played that? No. Okay. In it. You're you're playing cubes to the board and trying to control different areas and things like that, mm -hmm. but it, it does not. It sounds like a more basic version of of this game of lockup. Well, I mean, it's a basic mechanic that you're having here of area control. You're trying to control an area in order to be able to use that mm -hmm. area to give yep. you the benefit. And here it's the same type of thing. You are trying to control an area to give the most amount of benefit. Part of the difficulty of this, especially when multiplayer, is the bluffing aspect. You have to bluff and double think someone else with the with the limit amount of times you can put a crew token face down to try and edge them away or edge them to somewhere else, solidify your bets, things like that. And I like that. I like that because everyone has to do one location once and then cannot come back. So also you can hold on to a location until the end of the round and hope maybe you can string them along until you can dump your big guy somewhere where they didn't go or dump your dump your little guy somewhere where they didn't go. And so there's different strategies that you can employ with the mm -hmm. bluffing and the area and the area control to try and eke out a little bit of benefit over your opponent. But it's it's certainly a game I feel of tight margins trying to make sure you get that done. So now, now I imagine a lot of that feeling and that kind of fun is not there in the solitaire game. Well, let me discuss the solitaire game because I'm not sure if that's true. Hmm, okay. The way it works with solitaire is that the guards are going to be coming around. At the beginning of the round, you'll have a stack of guard cards and you'll shuffle them up and then deal them around one to each of the areas except for the library. 
on a guard turn, you'll pick, and you get to pick, any of those guard spaces and reveal what they have in that location. And it could just be an eye, in which case they have zero strength, but they don't take suspicion cubes. Um, or it could be a five, and they'll take all. The, they'll be very powerful in that place. Then, as the second part of the guard turn, you'll flip over a deck of location cards and send a guard, an extra guard, to that location. There will never be more than two guards in location, but quite frequently, especially if you go fast, you'll only have one guard come to location. So if you reveal a location, you've got a pretty decent chance that a guard's not going to come back to there, so you'll only have to deal with what's already there. So that means that a lot of the time I found myself peeking a location, being like, I can probably beat it. I don't need to do too much more to beat this and put one down and just hope that I didn't reveal that the guard's going to send another one back up to that location and I'll lose it because I already went and secured it by a slim margin. After that happens to me mm -hmm. a couple times, and if I decide I really need something, then I may say, like, I don't want to lose here even if the guards come back. We're going to come here full strength. Or occasionally I'll say, I know I need this spot. I'm going to remember I need that spot. I'm setting aside stuff to go to this spot. But I'm going to do it later in the round before <laughs> when I know the guards won't come back. Because in the solo game, unlike in the multiplayer game, you have a huge advantage as first player. Normally in the multiplayer game, I think first player is still really strong because, and first player is something as with many uh, worker placements and area controls, it's an actual location that can give you first player. But first player breaks ties. So you have an extra half a strength for everywhere while you have first player. Additionally, first player, you get to be the first one to go to a spot. When you're playing solo, not only are you the first one to go to a spot, as soon as you run out of cubes, as soon as you run out of crew tokens, rather, the guards don't get to go again. You are the only one who gets to go that oh, round. Nice. So if you have the first player token, not only do you get to go to a spot first, you also get one extra turn over the guards. The guards reinforce one less space than you do. Now, granted, if you're not mm -hmm. first player, you have the extra knowledge of which of how much a spot has. So your first spot when you're first player is totally a lucky guess. You have no advanced knowledge. So I think that's probably worth it to be able to have one less uh, guard card that comes out. But it definitely has its ups and its downs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that there's uh, strategies that work both ways. I believe so. I think that's no nice. matter what, you probably want to have the first player and often because getting the first player also gives you one more power meaning that one the crew token that has it's reinforced by power um means he gets stronger and stronger in my opinion you always want to have first player anyway but i'm not sure that's true i can definitely i could definitely get in a fight and hear another side about why that might not be true but i believe that to be true there still is sort of an aspect of bluffing because they're still going to come out at random. You're still trying to think, do I want to string it along? It's just that it, in the other game, it's psychological. I'm trying to be in the head of the other player. Obviously, you can't be in the head of a deck of cards. It's entirely random. They may come and totally mess up your plans, or they may do nothing to you. You may draw the cards that they don't do anything, and there's no reinforcements that come out for a whole round. It's definitely possible. So it's really kind of random. It's 
strategic in that you get to plan and look at where they're going and think a bit more. It's not psychological, but it, it certainly is random. But it probably almost feels the same as if it is psychological. Because honestly, when I'm playing against somebody like that, where it's a bluffing sort of game, trying to outwit the other person, I I often have no idea what the other person's trying to do, and I'm just guessing. It may as well be random. Well, Albert, I think that's because you're a less psychological person than me. I, I might be. I think <laughs> probably I have terrible games like that. Oh, I don't know. For me, it feels different playing multiplayer than it does playing solo. Although, in all honesty, at this point in time, the last time I played in multiplayer was a while ago. Coronavirus. <laughs> so I've played it so- mm-hmm. solo a couple times recently. Um, and at the very least, it doesn't feel the same to me because I do recall being able to do strategic and sometimes trying to lean someone in. Like if I thought they would, if I thought someone was gunning heavily for something, especially if you're able to trash talk on the board, you're like, I know you're going to grab heavy for that power token. I want that power token. I'm going to get it for sure this time. And you drop a crew token face down and maybe you even do a face up two to go with it. At that point in time, they have to really think like, are they bluffing me or are they not bluffing me? Like they just put two tokens down on that. Like, are they, does that mean I need to go, go really (laughs) heavy in that area? I, I don't know. (laughs) And that's fun. You, if this time, like you can't double think, you can't play any of that. I mean, that's innately, that's just a limit you have for solo games. And the solo game is still really fun. I certainly Mm -hmm. enjoy the strategy that goes into I've planned it out. I've executed my plan perfectly. I have made the items I need because especially with the recipe of the items and plotting out where you're going to go to not go over limit and get enough goon cards. It's certainly satisfying. Um, I have not yet beat it on the hardest mode even. So I'm sure there's more strategies that I'm not fully at. I don't know if anybody's beaten on the hard mode because the hard mode's really hard in my opinion. Um, so, I'm sure there's more strategy and more idea to that, but I've said it many times. If a game makes me feel intelligent in my planning, gives me enough choices and enough ability to react to something, even though it's random, especially because the majority of it is all out there already in front of me, I can try and predict it. I just don't have complete clarity, but I can certainly plan out what I'm doing and how I want to react to the last round and things like that because maybe I should have hedged or I shouldn't have. Like, it still feels controllable even as randomness. It's just not completely mitigatable, mm-hmm. if that's a word. It is. It is now. You just <laughs> used it. That makes it a word. So I think really that's almost my final thoughts right there, is that in in Solo, I guess, I guess really it's somewhat random if you're not able to psychologically someone. It's an area control game with, a, with some randomness, but still a fair amount of strategy. And in all honesty, the fact that it's it's really gorgeous, it's very pretty to play, it is enjoyable to play, the excellent components enhance the gameplay. You know, I I, I give it a th- I give it a strong thumbs up. I do really enjoy playing the game, and I would certainly recommend it. Nice. Okay, it sounds really cool, and it looks really nice. That's for sure. And it, it does sound like it'll be fun solo, where where I have a chance of beating the random opponent. Probably for me, a little <laughs> less fun multiplayer where where I'm just going to get beat left and right. <laughs> I can fully imagine everyone being like, I know where Albert's going to go. Like, how do you know that? <laughs> oh, I'm so bad at these games. If it had dice, I'd do better. 
No, that's role player, Albert. You keep confusing it. (laughs) But Albert, I think this one time we need to start locking down this podcast. (laughs) Let's do that. Have a good night, everybody. Thank you for listening. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. We love feedback, so we love hearing from you. You can reach me at Julius at OnePlayerPodcast.com or JLBird on BGG. And Albert can be reached at Albert at OnePlayerPodcast.com or Fractaloon on BGG. Our website is OnePlayerPodcast.com with the number one, and we're also on Twitter at OnePlayerPodcast. The intro music is copyright Angus can be found at Gemendo.com. The transition music is copyright by Dan Elduce Pancaldi, whose page is at DanPancaldi.com. The One Player Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons share-alike license. Thanks for listening. Gotta roll, gotta roll with a player, roll player. Bat, 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 bat,